0: really should have seen by now and then we talk about them
1: i am the fiance and i'm drew and it's not really that you're forcing me to watch this one i am very excited and very eager for bat out of hell
0: yeah this one's your idea
1: yeah i i love meat life yep the soundtrack to my teenage years alongside my chemical romance queen fallout boy avenge sevenfold meat life was a huge part of that of course. mostly because i think my mum introduced me to him like my mum and my nan both really loved meatloaf they actually went to see him in concert in brighton Mm -hmm. and obviously jim steinman the lyricist the mind behind meatloaf songs but also one of my favorite other songs that we've talked about before with footloose holding up for a hero is a jim steinman song
0: Yeah,
1: yeah you know and and a lot of the songs he wrote i just think are really epic like Total Eclipse of the Heart as well, mm-hmm. like these really big, like, over-the-top songs yeah, that I just adore. So I, I really wanted to see Bat Out of Hell, the musical, when it first came to London. I think it was in 2017,
0: 2018-ish? Uh, it would have been 2017,
1: yes. I remember seeing it because it was at the London Palladium.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I really wanted to go and see it during that time. But I just never had a chance to. I didn't have as much disposable income then, and I didn't go, and I regretted it so much. And I saw that this was on tour, mm-hmm. and I knew it was coming to Woking, which is where we're going to see it—the new Victoria Theatre in Woking. And I've been so hyped for this one. It feels like the perfect like Halloween musical. Yeah, a little bit of rock, a little bit of roll. Mm-hmm. I, I, we nearly went to see it in January. Yeah. Um. When Meatloaf died, I wanted to see Bat Out of Hell because it was at Wimbledon. And I was so tempted to get tickets to go and see it because I thought of all nights, this feels like a night I should be there. Mm -hmm. But it was your brother's birthday. Yep. (laughs) So, you know, I I went with the priority, which was family. Mm -hmm. So I have nearly seen this one on a few instances before. I'm really excited to finally see it. Have you seen it before? Are you familiar with Bat Out of Hell? I don't think this is going to be as much your thing as it is mine.
0: Um I am semi familiar with Batter of Hell so I saw Batter of Hell perform at West End Live. Yeah. They had the the motorbike that's on the album cover, the poster, yeah. obviously. But it was static and I didn't think it was great.
1: And they did the same when they did like BBC Night at the Musicals. Mm-hmm. And I remember you saying then that like the
0: Well, I said if that's how it is in the show that's rubbish like why would you have like the wheels didn't move nothing was happening just as a stationary motorbike um and the design of it, it doesn't have a back wheel because it's like solid flat as if it's sort of rearing up slightly yeah which is very cool the and i guess it's, it's supposed cool. to be like
1: if it moves it's like a little hover
0: yeah but i was at the time was like Mm, i'm not sure how i feel about this i don't really care (laughs) (laughs) about this if anything what i took away from it when i saw it west end live was that the bsl interpreter was doing a really good job of like signing battle of of hell hell, the song it was very cool um what i took away from it was that the plot of this is romeo and juliet and with motorbikes and that if that is the case then I would rather watch Grease too. Yeah, because that's also the plot of Grease 2.
1: Which is fair enough.
0: I, don't, I I don't know anything about the plot.
1: So you've not seen this one. You've literally just seen
0: seen that and the I've seen Western Live and I've seen that TV show thing that we watched, and that's kind of it. But I know the I know the sort of basic plot is like
1: Starcross Lovers.
0: Yeah, guy is from this group of outsiders, girl is the daughter of like, I think he's like a politician, prominent man in city. Um, the, the outsiders all dress like they're in steampunk leather. It's very Rocky horror, their costumes, like steampunky.
1: Yeah. And it kind of, I mean, I know nothing about plot. I've done no research, but looking at like some of the pictures, I think the same, but I think there's also like a We Will Rock You type vibe to it. Mm -hmm. where it's like post-apocalyptic and you've got like maybe this group of musicians who are far more like into that sort of music and then you've got people who have like no music to them definitely
0: for sure and yeah so just from that that's all i got from it and i was like "Hmm, doesn't seem like my kind of thing the only song i recognized from what they did at west end live was bat out of hell and i was like i know one line of this song fun
1: story when i was a kid one of my friends like i introduced them to bat out of hell mm. and they really liked it um but there's a line that's like silver black phantom bike yeah and it's it was so funny because we'd be sat at break or lunchtime and we'd be singing it and i kind of stopped to take a drink getting up to that bit there it was like i'm a silver black phantom bike and <laughs> my friend started singing. He goes, I'm a Scylla Black fan, all right.
0: Excellent.
1: And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, that's the lyric. I'm going to hit the highway like a battering ram. I'm a Scylla Black fan, all right.
0: Excellent.
1: And I have to sing that now whenever I sit, like listen to Bat Out of Hell, <laughs> because it just always makes me think of it. I So you, you weren't a big Meatloaf fan growing up. You don't know many of like his slash Jim Steinman songs.
0: I was a huge Meatlife fan growing up. But in uh, exclusively in Rocky Horror and Stage Fight. Yeah. I only knew him from those.
1: So you only know the actor side of Meat as opposed to Not
0: even that. He he only cameos in those like I knew him as Eddie. Yeah. And that's kinda it. And You've never he's... seen
1: Fight Club, have you?
0: No, I have no interest in seeing Fight yeah, Club. Because he's
1: he's good in Fight Club. He's yeah. one of those like really talented his like voice is just amazing um you know of the the three bat out of hell albums the third one is the most forgettable that was 2006 and there's like one or two good songs on it mm. but it's certainly like you can see because there's not as much collaboration between him and jim steinman with it you know the first one is great the second one has some songs i really like but the first bat out of hell album for me is just one of the best albums like from start to finish
0: so presumably they're using songs from all of the albums
1: yeah from what i've seen of the very like brief looks i don't want to look too much at the set list because i just want to enjoy it i obviously know they've got bat out of hell and they've got a few from like like that they have um i would do anything for love but i won't do that which is bat out of hell too Mm -hmm. i know some people have said that there are some cut songs um that are from Bat Out of Hell 3. So, for instance, in The Land of the Pig, The Butcher is King. Sure. Has been cut from the musical. All right. What I think it is more than anything is it's Bat Out of Hell using the bulk of the trilogy of albums as lyrics. But I've also seen that it has music that is Jim Steinman. Basically, it's his songs. So I haven't done, like, extensive research for obvious reasons. Like, I kind of want to go in and just experience the show. Yeah. But this is like Jim Steinman musical. Like he's the creative force behind this. Meatlife gets the credit because Meatlife is associated with Bat Out of Hell. But oh, so
0: there's new songs, not new songs, but songs that aren't on that album.
1: Or any of like, yeah, or possibly right. on any of the Bat Out of Hell albums, but they're Jim Steinman songs. Mm-hmm. So like he's taken songs from his like extensive discography and reworked them. That but, makes sense. Because, like, he's an incredible composer and lyricist. You know, he's in the Hall of Fame for it. He's worked with Andrew Lloyd Webber for Whistle Down the Wind.
0: Oh, sure. So he potentially worked on No Matter What, which you will know as...
1: Boyzone, yeah. No Matter What They Tell You. Which is always
0: hilarious to me, but that's a... Yeah, no,
1: he's the listed producer for that. So, you know, who knows, but he also contributed in the dark of the night from Anastasia.
0: Excellent song.
1: Um I wa- and
0: actually I kind of get that now. That makes sense. Yep.
1: I want to spend my lifetime loving you, which was um for written for The Mask of Zorro in 1997. Sure. So he's not just um, you know, albums. He did Never Forget for Take That as well he produced it and it was written by Gary Barlow so you know he's not just this rock and roll individual mm-hmm. you know he's worked with Celine Dion he's worked with Bonnie Tyler Barbara Streisand Barry Manilow excellent and a lot of the songs have been repurposed so Read em and Weep is originally a Barry Manilow song but Life has also performed it
0: mm-hmm.
1: so incredible composer lyricist very eclectic not just what you'd associate with meat life. Hmm. Tell me about this as a show, if, if, if anything, if you do know anything.
0: Well, so I know what I looked up.
1: Because hmm. again, it's one of those weird ones that we're no, we don't want to talk too much about the history of the show here, because it's not like it's a show that you know a lot about, There's an element of we both want to go in and experience this. Yeah, and there's
0: certain things, like I've avoided looking at anything to do with the content of the show rather than just the uh, background of this show. So Jim Steinman wrote a newspaper article while he was at college, or I guess that's university if he's American. And then of the article that he wrote, which was about issues of the contemporary time, he decided to turn that into a rock musical and he called it The Dream Engine. Um, Worked with one of his fellow students who's called Barry Keating, who became the show's director and it starred Jim Steinman um, as a uh, sort of...
1: Cult leader, it looks like. Yeah,
0: essentially. Yeah, it kind of sounds like that. It contained the song Who Needs the Young and Hot Summer Nights, which is a speech part, which are both in bat out of hell yeah. now he actually sold the rights to the dream engine at the time and he was recruited to refine his work for different productions larger productions but none of those ever took shape yeah he ended up working on a musical called more than you deserve in the 70s and he met meatloaf who was acting in that show or bills to act in that show yeah. at the time he Then decided he was going to rewrite the Dream Engine. And that was from talking about it with Meatloaf. And so throughout the 70s, Meatloaf and Steinman and Ellen Foley worked on uh, the National Lampoon Roadshow together. Cool. Yep. And during that time, he wrote most of the songs for the album Battle of Hell and began to record and rehearse them with Meatloaf and Ellen Foley. And then he decided... That that was it. He was going to finally do it. 1977, Bat Out of Hell, the album was released with yep. Foley singing the female part and Meatloaf singing all of the Meatloaf stuff.
1: So that would have been Ellen Foley who did Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. Correct. Cool. Um, One of my favourite songs, but you know which it from I believe,
0: Glee. I know it from Glee, but I believe it's in
1: this. I'm, she- I'm
0: not going to be surprised if there's loads of songs in this that I know... But I will. It should be. In, it <laughs> should
1: be in it because, especially if it's "Bat Out of Hell," like the first "Bat Out of Hell" album. Just to interrupt you for a bit, has very few songs. You know, it's this iconic one, but it has so few songs. "Bat Out of Hell," he took the words right out of my mouth. "Heaven Can Wait" all Rev up with no place to go. Two out of three ain't bad. "Paradise by the Dashboard Light" and "For Crying Out Loud." There's only seven songs on this album, and then the later reissues include "Dead Ringer for Love." So I would expect to see all of those, at least in this. Yeah. But the songs are so long as well. So I wonder if it'll be like Jersey Boys where they get cut and condensed and we get like maybe a moment. Like if we get the full Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. I really
0: hope not, because that's one of the things that I really disliked about Jersey Boys is you didn't get time to enjoy any of those big songs. That is the reason why everybody's there. And
1: this has such a long run time that I wouldn't be surprised if it's because of the length of these songs. Yeah, I will understand if we get like a shorter version of Bat Out of Hell, Paradise by a Dashboard, Lights, and I would do anything for love. Because they're like 10 minute epics, mm. but I want to see all of them in their entirety.
0: So in the 90s, Steinman rewrote the script for the Dream Engine into a film script called Bat Out of Hell 21,000, which include... <laughs>
1: No, I'm just laughing. I'm sorry. (laughs) I love the idea of like 21,000 or, or, you know, like as as the subtitle, you know?
0: Yeah, that's a very strange. I'm assuming it's that that in that case would be the name of the bike or something. Possibly. Because that's the only way I can make any sense of that, unless it's supposed to be set in the year 21,000. I don't know. Because it obviously it it's is post-apocalyptic, dystopian, yeah, so, dystopian future. But it included a whole bunch of Steinman songs, included Who Needs the Young, uh, All Revved Up With No Place To Go, Bat Out of Hell, obviously. It's all coming back to me now, which is the song that I'm thinking of.
1: The Celine Dion song. The Celine Dion song, So yeah. Jim Steinman wrote that one. And it is on Bat Out of Hell 3.
0: Yeah, but I don't know if it's in the show. No. Because this is the 90s. This is way before. But that, I mean,
1: technically would fit the bill because Meatloaf covered it in 2006. It's one of the few songs I like on Bat Out of Hell 3. It's because I like the Celine Dion version.
0: Mm. Uh, Objects in the Rearview Mirror.
1: Oh, if we get that, I'll be so happy.
0: Uh, And I would do anything for love. Yeah. So. Then we jump forwards again. There's a lot of jumping in this. This this show was going nowhere, basically, yeah. for a really long time. In 2008... All
1: revved up with no place to go.
0: Yeah. In 2008, they finally announced it. And then it wasn't until 2015 that they did a developmental sort of workshop for Primey. it in New York. And then in 2016, they assembled a cast for the original production, which was at the Manchester Opera House. On February 17th, 2017. So it it debuted in the UK? Yes. That's
1: cool. This is one that you definitely think would have debuted in like America or something before coming over here. Just feels like intrinsically American, doesn't it?
0: I believe it's easier to premiere things over here. Because I don't know whether this, this seems like a very recent thing that has come up over and over again with more modern shows is that they premiere in Manchester And then they go other places, or Leeds. Back
1: to the Future debuted in Manchester, didn't it? Yeah,
0: and a whole bunch of other shows have recently as well. Great
1: British Bake Off debuted in Manchester. Mm -hmm.
0: It just seems to be the place to debut your show at the moment. And I'm sure there's way more to that, I just haven't looked into it. But it originally starred Andrew Pollock uh, as Strat, and Christina Bennington, who people will know now from... Oh, well, people would know her from Bat Out of Hell, but also from Heather's yes. because she took over as Veronica. She's
1: currently Veronica, isn't she?
0: Yes. Uh, and then
1: She playing a character
0: called Raven. And then we have Rob Fowler as Falco and Sharon Sexton as Sloane. I don't know who any of
1: these characters are. No. is all meaningless. Yeah, it's meaningless. But looking at, like, billing-wise, you tend to think, like, it goes from the top down. Mm. So what's interesting with Falco and Sloane is Rob Fowler and Sharon Sexton are also on this tour. They're the people we're going to see in that role, which is very cool to have, like, originators of the role Mm. doing this. Uh, Danielle Steers plays as Zahara, Originally, um, And we saw Daniel Steers recently in the Share show. Yep. But if you look at the cast listing for this, there's a lot of people. So we've got Glenn Adamson as Strat and Martha Kirby as Raven. And again, I don't know much about, about them. But they were on the international tour in 2020. So I assume before COVID hit.
0: Yeah.
1: And then they've come back for the UK tour. And there's a lot of those names. You know, one, two three, four names listed here of like maybe 10 characters that have returned. Yeah. So that's very cool. They clearly know these characters have been doing them for a while. And it would have been Glenn Adamson we probably saw doing the performance on the BBC show. Yeah. And he's got a very unique look about him. Hmm. You know, I quite like, you know, the hair and the rock god vibe that he has with him.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited that it seems like the one that we're going to get is Rob Fowler, who was the original Falco. Yeah. And also has been in hundreds of things and is a very, very talented performer. But it's always cool to see initial casts return. Yeah. And so, you know, we've also got Sharon Sexton back as Sloane and, like, that's very exciting.
1: Yeah, interestingly as well... One of the characters originally was played by uh, Giovanni Spano. That's who we saw in Cinderella.
0: Yes, he's one of the hunky... Hunky knights, yeah,
1: (laughs) who (laughs) went on... So so was in this and then took a break from this to compete in the X Factor. Very
0: cool. So, Hmm.
1: yeah, very cool. I'm excited for this one. You know, like, obviously there's a lot of meat life to it, but... You look at the creative team, Life is nowhere near this. The oh, associ-
0: absolutely not. He's really associated with all of the songs, obviously, because he's on the album, but they really have nothing to do with him.
1: That's it, because it's Jim Steinman's work. So, you know, I'm I'm very excited to see this one. I think it's going to be fun. You know, just musically, I, I know I'm going to enjoy this one because by the sounds of it, it's not like they've tried to, you know, with the, the one or two songs I've seen performed, they've not tried to change them into musical theatre songs
0: yeah
1: they are the way jim steinman wrote them so for me i'm excited to see them performed live it'll be like going to a rock show Mm -hmm. what i've seen of some of the the costumes they look great what i've heard a lot of people say is that the plot is completely bonkers sure and isn't necessarily a strength of this show
0: but i think that tends to happen i mean the example i'm going to use is mamma mia right yeah what is happening in the plot of Mamma Mia? It's entirely bizarre and very strange, but also it works and it's fun. And, you know, obviously it's not, you know, post-apocalyptic. They're not trying to go too sci-fi or out there with Mamma Mia, but it's still, you know, they took these songs and made them work.
1: That's it. And, and it's the, the same, same
0: with We Will Rock You.
1: Yeah, and it's the same with anything where you try to have like this jukebox vibe to it. Like, obviously it's not a jukebox musical like and Juliet or um rock of ages because like jim steinman wrote these songs but you've still got the issue of trying to fit these songs into a narrative that makes sense so there's still like the element of like jukebox to it because it's not like one whole album you're taking the works of jim steinman Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so i'm excited to see how that works yeah me too i definitely feel going into this one i'm going to enjoy this one more than you i feel like i'm going to have the best night And you're certainly going to have a night. But I definitely feel like this musical is more for me than it is for you.
0: Yeah, usually with more rock-based musicals. Like, you enjoyed Jesus Christ Superstar a lot more than I did. Yeah. And it's just musically to your taste. Yes, more than than
1: than anything else. And again, School of Rock, you like elements of, but you don't love it the same way I do, which, you know, mostly comes down to the music.
0: Yeah, and all the songs that i like from school of rock are all they're like more traditionally musical i like i ones. do like
1: those ones i know you
0: do but you're more clearly you're just um
1: Finn. Finn. yeah and yeah i'm not <laughs> well i'm excited to head over to the new victoria theater in woking for this one
0: mm-hmm.
1: we are going to venture into hell and we will be back presumably like a bat out of hell
0: she was just trying to figure out why you'd said we're gonna venture into hell Like i did not get that at all
1: well this is the I'm thing i'm not
0: cut out for this <laughs> you know
1: i could also do like you know plot may not be the strongest but looks like costumes are musically so two out of three ain't bad is my other like meatloaf reference
0: is that a song yes right, Okay. will we be is de- that song gonna be in this it might be
1: okay you know you know will be we, will we be dead ringers for love
0: I know that of this one. Show. I know that
1: one. But yes, it's, it's I safer understand if. I, that reference. But it's safer if I just say we will be back like a bat out of hell yep. shortly after intermission. Like a bat out of hell, I'll be gone when the morning comes. When the night is over, like a bat out of hell, I'll be gone, gone, gone. Like a bat out of hell, I'll be gone when the morning comes. But when the day is done and the sun goes down and the moonlight shining through, then like a sinner... Before the gates of heaven, now come crawling on back to you.
0: And we are back.
1: Yes, we're all revved up. At least I am.
0: With no place to go.
1: Well, no place to go, but here to talk to you, lovely people, Andrew.
0: Hilariously enough. I think that's how I would describe the
1: show. All revved up with no place to go. Yeah. I, I definitely feel this is a show more for me than it is for you. I had a blast.
0: Yeah. I had a blast. I've, it was a good time. I was enjoying myself until I realised that the show that we were watching was Peter Pan.
1: So did and you then s- I
0: spent the whole thing thinking
1: I'd rather be watching Peter Pan. So that genuinely stopped your enjoyment of it. Yeah. Okay. Would you see this again? I would.
0: Maybe if it was in an arena. Yeah. I would. Because you know how. What are the two arena shows that we covered? We watched. Jesus the, Christ Superstar. Yeah. The filmed version of Jesus Christ Superstar. That was at the Apollo? No. I think
1: that was at like. That Wim- was like the O'Do or Wembley Odu, or something. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then the. The anniversary performance of Phantom Phantom, of the Opera, which was at the Albert Hall. And both of those were only improved for being in arenas because the spectacle of those shows is like ridiculous. Having the big stairs in Jesus Christ Superstar, that set design was just incredible. I feel like this, being given a huge amount of space, would be so good because it's a very intimate stage and I don't think it works as well with the scope of this show. So
1: what we're going to do with this song? because it's such a big show and there's so much to we kind of talk about. We would be talking
0: about. for like four hours. We're going to
1: split this up into sections. We're going to do um, set, plot slash characters and songs. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to go that way. Do you want to start by talking about the set? Because I love it. The
0: set was amazing.
1: And I completely take your point that I want to see this in an arena. Mm -hmm. And it's due to come back to London's West End. It's going to the Peacock Theatre. I don't know which theatre that is off the top of my head. I don't know if it's a big theatre or not. It's just off Covent Garden. So it might probably be a a much smaller theatre than an arena.
0: Looks pretty big. It's got quite a wide, like open-looking stage. It's yeah. not as big as obviously the Apollo no. or the Palladium or anything like that. Which is where it was originally
1: stage. with the Palladium. Yeah. I think. See, I'm of the opinion. That I actually think it looked great on the stage at the New Victoria Theatre. I think you've got this really nice, like, it just looks amazing. It's really epic. You've got a great curtain just says, bat out of hell. And as you arrive, you've got the bike there. And then you have the lost come up and just start, like, enjoying the bike. And you have two very different areas. You've got, like, a sewer tunnel Mm -hmm. that people can climb up, which I thought was great. It's the subway tunnel. So this
0: is futuristic, post-apocalyptic Manhattan yes and the subway tunnel that they're in because I read through the plot of this after we watched it because I was like I feel like I've missed some stuff I feel like there's not a lot and I know we're not talking about plot yet but it's supposed to be the 81st Street Museum of Natural History subway station
1: okay not clear
0: not clear nobody ever told me that and it wasn't like there was like a subway sign anywhere that if there was we didn't see it but yeah so like i think it was clear that it was a subway tunnel yes because they kept saying there's a bit where they said about like it sounds like a train there aren't trains anymore like so they're obviously in the subway tunnels i think it was very clear when they were in the subway compared to outside yeah that was done really well the i think that was more of a lighting choice than a
1: yeah changing the lighting state really helped with that Mm -hmm. like you got the sense of outdoors and indoors
0: and the fact that the entire set is static yes the entire time I think is incredibly clever because it sets us up in this world and we are continually in it we're not seeing anything new and I did wonder whether during the interval they were going to change anything yeah like the building would move or something because on one side like you say we've got the subway And on the other side, we have Falco Tower, which if this is supposed to be the Natural History Museum subway station, Mm -hmm. that's, I think, just up the road from Trump Tower. Yeah. So this is obviously supposed to be Trump Tower. It's just Falco Tower now.
1: Which is very interesting as a take. And I really love that you got the two worlds constantly on view. Mm -hmm. You know, above the subway tunnel, which is great for exits and entrances, but you have the stairs taking up and they can be on top of it. You've got Falco Towers on the side. Which which the 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 glass is very much like two-way glass, I thought was interesting. Because if it's
0: lit a certain way it's you can see through through it.
1: And then if it's not lit a certain way you can't see through it. But what I really like is above the subway tunnel you have this huge digital screen
0: yeah and it looks like a billboard to start with
1: and what's very cool about this show and the action is that it is filmed live Mm -hmm. there is a performer on stage constantly filming things so when we have like an intimate scene in uh raven's bedroom yeah somebody is filming it -hmm. And you can see them, and the angles and everything are very cool because they move and it gives you a very interesting perspective because you can see it happening on stage in front of you. But I was drawn always to watching it on the big screen. See, this is the thing I. That was
0: very cool, and I actually. We had to ask at the interval whether it was being filmed live. Yeah, we spoke to Olivia,
1: the wonderful Olivia, and said, Is that live? I think it is, Drew thinks it's not. And the only
0: reason I thought it wasn't. Is because I was trying to figure out how this person constantly filming Falco's family affected the plot. Um because I can I, I always look at things from a very plot, I think, heavy angle. Yeah. Whereas you you tend to go broader in what you like about shows. Yeah. I narrow down to the plot immediately because I'm like, what is happening?
1: And for you, you're trying to see the narrative purpose it has.
0: Yeah, because I was like, oh, okay, I can see why Raven, and I will try and get the names right and not call her Wendy for this entire... Because she is Wendy. More on
1: that in a bit.
0: Yeah. Um, She's so stifled. And I was like, yeah, that would suck for your parents to be constantly documented and you to be constantly documented. But then the more they were being filmed, the more I was like, why are they all... Just being themselves. Like, if I was, I, I'm assuming Falco's the prime minister?
1: Or like the. he's or the kind
0: of, president? I What's don't know. his job. <laughs>
1: oh, he,
0: he's apparently the leader of yeah, the, the city. The city's called Obsidian. Yeah. The, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, so he's a leader.
0: He's the tyrannical leader, apparently. But. So I was like, oh, if you are the. Like, it's clear that they're the leaders of this place. Mm-hmm. If you were the leader of this place, you would absolutely not let a documentary team come in and film your alcoholic wife or your teenage daughter who's constantly shopping. And you certainly wouldn't let it be put out live onto the big screen outside. That, I, so see,
1: that's the thing. From your sense, you're thinking yes, narrative watching. Like, Clockwise, what
0: is the point of this?
1: For me, I just like it as a nice little touch. Like I think it adds something more unique to this show that you don't yeah. get in a theatre going experience. I also, for me, if I want to look at it from a narrative side, it's kind of showing the hidden side. You don't, you know, the whole, you don't see what goes on in closed doors. What if you did?
0: Yeah, but he wouldn't do that. No, it doesn't make narrative sense. No,
1: he's not actually putting it forward. What it's doing is it's, it's, a, it's a fun way of showing these scenes without needing to change the set. It's the same thing. So it's like breaking the fourth wall we'd be watching it Mm. on stage, but it gets rid of the need to create a brand new set of their bedroom, of their dining room. Yeah. Well, so after the
0: interval, after we'd asked Olivia if it was being filmed live, I was then able to be like, okay, it's for viewer purpose. It's nothing to do with the narrative. And so I just could get over it at that point. But I do always say, if I have to know something before I go in to watch a show... If I have to do homework to be able to watch a show, I don't think it's a good see, show. I don't
1: think it's homework. I just thought it was a really nice surprise and something unique that I've not experienced before. Mm. You know, for me... I mean,
0: they did it in Jesus Christ Superstar as well.
1: Yes, but I don't think But I think, think that was, in, was,
0: more again, more to do with that you arena. You want your entire audience yeah. to be able to see what's going on.
1: But there were some really nice moments that I thought we got from it that we wouldn't have got. And specifically right at the opening when, like, Falco and The Lost have had their huge pull apart ball and he he's storming into the tunnel, into the subway tunnel and the camera's filming and he tears his shirt off and he's just like growling hmm. and posturing. And I thought that was such a unique idea to see him like in that state that we wouldn't have had if not for the camera. Like it gave us a more 360 degree view of the world. I didn't
0: even watch that part on the camera. I just watched him.
1: Oh no, I did because he had his back to us as the audience and I could see his great moment. And you know how with Bad Cinderella... Yep. They tried to do the whole like 360 actually turning the stage around that then people complained about because you could see in the wings and it was distracting. Yeah. I feel like maybe this has that impact for you. It distracted you. But for me, it did give me more of a 360 scope kept the world and I thought it was really effective like especially when they're doing the stuff inside the bedroom set and you're looking out the windows that I couldn't see the audience because the windows had gone the
0: thing is I think I think the reason why it didn't work for me is because first of all I spent the entire first act trying to figure out why why it was happening narratively and also Nobody at any point in this musical uses any technology, despite the fact that it's set in the future, right? Yeah. Technology is dead. Unless you're this guy who's getting filmed by a very high-tech looking camera. But even Falco doesn't have like a phone. No. Nobody's ringing him. It's it's. It was just a bit bizarre because they were like, oh, we don't have trains anymore. The subway doesn't work. But also... We have this. Big digital billboard.
1: It gave me another one of my favorite moments at the start of Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, where you, it became like a little mini movie where they they had Falco and Sloan starring in flashback, yeah. like Paradise by mm-hmm. the Dashboard Lights, and I thought that was really fun. Yeah, and I, I did like that.
0: I think I sound really negative. <laughs> I wasn't. I really wasn't like not enjoying it. it. It was a really good, fun show.
1: Is this your rent?
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I had a good time. But I wasn't happy about
1: it. (laughs) I think, and and for newer listeners, go back and listen to our episode on Rent. Yeah. It might be one of my biggest regrets.
0: What?
1: Is just how negative I am about Rent. Yeah. But... I'm trying to be really positive right now. But the film offers me nothing for Rent.
0: No, and I'd love to take you to see the stage show. Yeah, and I think
1: the stage show would change things because I do really like the music and Tick, Tick, Boom has given me a whole new appreciation for Larson, you know, Mm -hmm. that... I don't think rent itself gave me one of the other things like I loved about the set is another thing that I think is going to be controversial between the pair of us.
0: and this, it talked about the bike.
1: So, the bike, admittedly, is not as great as one would hope, considering the poster to this. And
0: However, it you know, exceeded my expectations already because mm-hmm. it moved.
1: Yes. Now, and one of the things that I noticed, you said you didn't like that when it moved, the front tyre wasn't spinning. And it didn't in every scene it was used in the one we saw. But then it would at the same time. So are there two different bikes?
0: I think it's... It does spin. I think the angle we were at, because we were looking at it head on most of the time. Yeah. I think it was spinning. However, I... it doesn't spin fast enough. It should be, do you know when we went to see Hobbs and Broomsticks yes. and the wonderful Rob Madge yes. was spinning the front wheel of the motorbike? Oh, and
1: they were so happy. And it
0: was like the best time. Yes. the wheel. I was want to spinning. be as happy
1: as Rob Madge spinning a wheel in Bedknobs <laughs> and Broomsticks. It's one of the things that, that's why they were my MVP for that show, because there mm-hmm. was no role too small. Everything they did in that show was just incredible and done with the huge smile and this big energy yeah they but were living their with dream that
0: one the same as this the back wheel didn't move we didn't see it and the same here the bike doesn't have a back wheel yeah, it's because like it's hoverboard. set as if it's slightly upright like leaning upwards. so there is no back wheel it needs to be able to be flat on the ground so it can move along the track mm. that it's on but with the wheel in bed some broomsticks it's moving so fast because it's being moved by Rob Madge that it looks like the speed that a motorbike would be yeah. moving at. With this one, it was just sort of rolling slowly. And then for the song, Bat Out of Hell, in the background, you've got this, like, speed motion going oh, and on. That's and that's so like, cool. That was really cool because it's on the building as well. Yeah. It was amazing. And you contrast that, the sense of speed that we're getting as we're flying through this city to how slowly the wheel is turning. I
1: don't even think that bike was spinning. And I think the reason for it is because when we get the crash... Oh,
0: that's the bike that explodes. That's
1: the bike that explodes, so it's not built because it's supposed to come up enough, so that one doesn't spin. Well,
0: it's the other ones then. They still don't spin fast enough. But
1: I think the Bat Out of Hell sequence with the bike is very, very cool. Yes, okay, the bike isn't going as fast as we'd like it to.
0: It's not even pretending to. But, I don't need it to actually move fast. However,
1: but the, the, this is the thing. I wouldn't mind, I think, the tyre would move. But having the, for me, having the illusion of seeing like the lights go past on the freeway, for me, actually really helps give the impression of speed.
0: Yeah, but you can't do both. And like, that, it, like you say, when the wheel's not moving and you've just got that motion, yeah. absolutely fine. I don't have a problem with that. I can suspend my disbelief. Mm-hmm. But when visually I'm being shown speed and the slowness of the wheel... But
1: I don't think the wheel was moving. In no, but scene. it did
0: in other scenes where yeah. we being shown how fast they were going. My other gripe is I always think this isn't actually a negative thing. It just is something that always makes me laugh in yeah. shows. You know, when they bring out a prop yeah, that's like a vehicle or when we watch Winds of the Willows. Yeah, and they have the boat. They have the boat and they're like, time to get off stage. Better reverse my vehicle out yeah. because it only goes in one direction and yeah. the boat in Wind and the Willows goes off backwards. And, and we
1: had that issue when we were using it Grease just Lightning. Because it's very difficult in, you know, they say It's
0: really difficult, but I always never
1: work like, with children or animals. They should probably put vehicles yeah, really on that cool. list. I adored the Bat Out of Hell sequence. We're not talking about like the song here so much as the set, because at the culmination you have this brilliant bit where Strat crashes mm-hmm. and it's brilliant because what you have is this nice moment where everything slows down and you have like a slight strobe lighting and you have confetti but the confetti is silver confetti so that going forwards alongside the impression of the strobe lighting feels like this glass shattering in front of you like you feel like you this other passenger in a car that's been in a crash. Mm-hmm. And that as a sequence was great. You know, you had the, the dry ice coming in to create the sense of this fog and the mystery. You had the uh, fire, the pyrotechnics, which was hot. It, could you feel that from where we were sat?
0: Yeah, which I always really like. It's very... um...
1: It's not the same as like wrestling shows where I've been there and like literally you can feel it for ages after, but it was so cool to have this big moment and then Mm -hmm. you have that and you have more confetti and it was just staged so beautifully. Like you really... The confetti was used very effectively to become the glass. Mm. The other thing I really liked in terms of stage design was through Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, it starts off at Raven's, like, birthday. And they've got this, like, huge table. And, like, they they just tear, you know, they, they take the um, the sheet off. Yes. And it's just this car.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the top parts of the car sit up, which yeah. is great.
1: And it was very, very cool. Like, because I didn't think it was a car. I genuinely just thought it was, like, a nice, like, table. It was a really cool little moment that, like, blended the world really, really well. Mm-hmm. I think visually this show is mm-hmm. such a great treat.
0: It's stunning. It's so well designed and so well thought out with everything that they're doing. I know I sound like I'm being negative. But it, but it does
1: like- look like it's what you'd expect. If you could step into an album, right? You know if, you know how in Friends Joey steps into the map? Sure. If you could step into an album and you just be in that world, right? Mm-hmm. I genuinely feel that like this is what Bat Out of Hell would look like. Yeah. I think it's a brilliant design. And John Bowser, who was the set and costume designer, did an amazing job. Mm. I, I thought they it was brilliant and I was so immersed from the second that curtain came up. For me, set is fantastic. Huge success of this show. Let's talk plot. Do we have to? What is a lost? (laughs) <laughs>
0: so, so after we saw this on the way home i was like i need to read through the plot of this because i feel like i've missed some stuff like obviously i didn't know that the city was called obsidian that is not brought up by anyone at any point yeah it doesn't say anywhere on the stage um i was very confused about the ending of this show which we'll get to but When I looked it up, the first thing that came up, and which my brother has now told me, he had told me already, um, it said that this is a loose adaptation of Peter Pan. Yep. And I figured that out about 10 minutes in to this show.
1: Yeah, it's not like Romeo and Juliet slash Grease 2, like you thought it was. Which is what
0: I thought it was. I would like to redact that statement. If I wanted to watch Peter Pan... I'd be watching Peter Pan.
1: But I think here's the thing. It's not that Jim Steinman has taken the music for Bat Out of Hell and then thought, I want to tell the story no, of Peter Pan. No, so
0: this was adapted as a show called Neverland. Yeah. And with all of his songs. And then he decided it would be called Bat Out of Hell instead, um, which I did not see yeah, and then when then it I was beca- in the Then research. it
1: became the album Bat Out of Hell. So it was always going to be his version of Neverland. So the Lost, obviously, are the Lost Boys.
0: Mm, Which they obviously couldn't call them because it's their ensemble cast. Yeah. So they have a mix of genders. But I also think
1: just calling them the Lost is incredibly metal.
0: Sure. (laughs) I don't care.
1: But they're the Lost, frozen in time. There was this poisonous gas that froze their DNA.
0: Apparently. Which is interesting Because instead of having them be, I mean, it's the Peter Pan version Mm -hmm. of being, of not aging, which is that your mind also doesn't age. So the lost are eternal teenagers. They are stuck that way. It's not like Twilight, where, you know, he is 100 and whatever years old. 17? 117? 114? Who? Edward in Twilight. seventeen. It's not. I feel like it's not.
1: How? Allow me to Google. How old is Edward Cullen? And how long has Edward Cullen been that age? (laughs) A while. Edward admits to Bella that he is a vampire and that although he retains the physical body of a 17 year old,
0: he is actually
1: born June 20th, 1901. So, how old is he? I don't know, but he was turned at 17.
0: I'm pretty sure he's like 114 or something like that. When
1: are the Twilight films set? Are they set current day in terms of, so it would be like 2008 when we get the first Twilight film?
0: I would assume so. They have that kind of...
1: he is 107 in the first Twilight film.
0: And we know that mentally he is 107. He has lived all these lives. He's been to college a bunch of times. You know, he's an adult. Oh, he
1: has world experience.
0: Yeah and he his brain works like an adult
1: Where whereas strat
0: here strat and the lost are eternal teenagers because it's peter pan yeah and so it's slightly better than twilight in that Wendy is technically not Wendy, <laughs> what's her name? Raven. Raven is technically dating someone her age. Yes. Because mentally he is her age.
1: But then it becomes an issue because when she is 58.
0: Oh my God, that line actually upset he me. You will
1: still be 18. Yeah, do you want to talk about that line? Oh
0: my God. So the way that this show ends, essentially, themically, is that Captain Hook, who is Wendy's dad, Falco. which that I appreciate. Yep. Because, um, traditionally, uh, the guy who plays Captain Hook also plays Mr. Darling, so I liked that having that be the same person that's funny. I appreciate it. But at the end of this show, he's like, "Ah, oh, shucks, kid, I guess it's fine if you date this 118 year old I think he, I think they said it's been like a long time since they were frozen. Yeah, it's not recent.
1: no, because Falco.
0: Falco's old, and that's the point. But Falco was
1: old, but also would have wanted to be with the lost, I think.
0: Yeah. I kind of assumed that he, and I don't know whether this is just my like meta Peter Pan knowledge, but like I kind of assumed he was friends with them and he just wasn't there when they all got frozen. Yeah. So now he's an adult and it sucks, which is true. (laughs) But. Yeah, but he basically decides it's okay for his 17-year-old daughter to date this eternal 18-year-old. And then Stratt says this line...
1: Right, I can tell you, just from doing a little bit of research, chemical warfare, earthquake occurred in this city 25 years ago. So, so Stratt Stratt was has was
0: a kid at the
1: time. has been 18 for 25 years.
0: Okay, so Falco could have been...
1: Their age...
0: Ish. He would have been a little older. I
1: mean, he's old enough to have an 18-year-old. 17-year-old, yeah. Or she turns 18 during this. Yeah. So there's every chance that he could have been 18 at the same time. 25 years have passed, you know.
0: Yeah, maybe. He'd have been
1: 25 when they had her, ironically.
0: Yeah. So he's just okay with his daughter dating this guy. And then Stratz says this line at the end where he, she's like, what are you going to do when I'm... It's a very justified question. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very good that she was asking these questions. But obviously in true Peter Pan fashion, he's not going to answer her. Yeah. She says to him, what about when I'm 20? Oh, what about when I'm 28 or 38 or 39? And it's like a really funny line yeah. because obviously she's a kid. She thinks that's really old. But Peter is just like I don't care, whatever. I don't care. You'll always look eighteen to me, and I was like, that's disgusting. Absolutely not. That is not a sustainable relationship. That is a right now relationship. But here's the
1: other issue I have with that ending: is the way when they're doing, I would do anything for love. Yeah, And she's doing her bit at the end where she's like, would you do this? Would you do this? And he looks at the audience like...
0: Oh my God, she says... There's a line where she's like, you'll be sleeping around in a couple of years. And he turns back and looks at the audience and is like, oh, she got me. And it's oh, like... Oh,
1: do I really have to say no to like sleeping around? Oh, busted. And he turns around and he's like, mm, I, I won't do that.
0: When it didn't really seem like he was doing it anyway. Mm. Because like he turned everybody else down. They also do this thing... I know it's a lyric in one of the songs, but there's a lyric that he keeps then verbally repeating to her, which is that she is the only thing in the world that is good and pure.
1: But that only comes simply because, like... It's a line in bat out of hell, and they have to get this idea. Yeah,
0: he didn't have to say it again.
1: But there's no, re- it doesn't actually give any sense of why he's look. He's he's drawn for some reason. She's in pictures, like he's got like a weird Playboy, and she's the centerfold, and she's not naked. It's in not it. a
0: Playboy. It's no. Seventeen magazine. It right. said it on the front. Okay. She's I didn't see to, that. Like mayor's daughter. I just
1: saw that he had like an image that then opened up like an old yeah. centerfold would, and it's her in her pajamas. Like, why is Falco this overprotective dad? She's not
0: in a pyjamas, she's in a dress.
1: I thought she was in the pink pyjamas that she wears later on. I thought that was the significance of the costume.
0: No. Okay. This dress. Well. So. The plot of this essentially follows the plot of Peter Pan. Some of the things are very well adapted, and it's very clear that Jim Steinman is adapting the book, and not any film version yep. of this. Which is because, very funny
1: because in two weeks, join us as we talk about Disney's Peter Pan. I know,
0: I'm not excited. It's the worst version. But ah, oh, so
1: it's Rat Out of Hell is better than that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. There we go. Out
0: of Hell is less racist than that. So, although saying that, the um. Tiger Lily stand-in that we have is Zahara. Yes. Who was incredible. Her singing voice, oh my goodness. Joelle Moses was ridiculous. Yeah, her
1: singing voice was up there, it was one of the best. What
0: was the ballad that she did? Three out of two
1: two? out of three ain't bad. (laughs) Three three out of two. two.
0: Three out of two ain't bad. Um that was incredible. She's so talented. But Zahara, the character, fulfills the Tiger Lily role. She is somebody who already lives in Neverland, who is already kind of in love with Peter. Peter doesn't have the time of day for her. And she rescues him when he's dying and brings him back to life. Like in Peter Pan, where Peter is left on the rock, Tiger Lily saves him in some versions. In other versions, it's the Neverbird that saves him. So she's either Tiger Lily or she's the Neverbird. Yeah. But we'll see. Then we have my favourite character in the entire show, which is Tink.
1: Yes. And there is a change with
0: this version. This
1: version. So in the original version, Tink dies. Tink is murdered by Falco.
0: Peter Pan, enough times in the theatre to. I was ready to clap when Tink was dying because. That's what you do. That's how you keep Tink from dying is if you believe in fairies, you clap your hands. And so I was sat there waiting to clap my hands so that Tink wouldn't die. The change is probably a good thing, I would say. From what I've read about it, the feedback was that having a 14-year-old-ish, I get the sense, like 14, 15, Tink is frozen younger than everybody else. And also he mentions he was frozen before everybody else which is really sad um he follows peter around like a shadow which is funny peter pan phrasing yeah and he is in love with peter um strap <laughs> i'm trying to get their names right but when you've well. got a character who's literally called tink i don't know what you expect from me yeah you know so i i like that he's called tink i like that it's in there but he's in love with peter When you have a gay character show up purely for the purpose of being in love with the straight character who then becomes a vindictive gay, in air quotes, Mm -hmm. and tries to screw over that straight main character in order to keep them to themselves and then gets killed for it, that's not a good look on your show. That is very much sort of falls into what we would have called the bury your gays trope. That is the kind of thing that got bad feedback for this show. It was negative feedback that killing off your only gay character, your only openly gay character, wasn't a good look. So instead, we have the Peter Pan ending, which is that Tink goes and tells Falco, not Captain Hook, Falco, where Raven is. It's like, hey, come get her. Promise no one will get her immediately gets beaten up and then drops dead in the middle of the stage and is saved by the love of his friends. Yeah. Specifically Peter. I think he's actually not that hurt. I think it was just... They still they've still staged it the same as mm-hmm. if he's died, but then but the, he But then they carry him up and he's fine. And, and, and it's then it's at like the, the end he goes and hugs Wendy and is like, we're friends now.
1: But it's very brutal watching Falco like slam his fist into Tink's face.
0: Knowing how young he's supposed yes. to be. Yeah.
1: Because there's a huge bit of manipulation because Tink hates the fact that Raven's come in and stolen strap from him. And so makes a pact with falco that's like i will show you where they are you can take your daughter back but you don't hurt anyone
0: yeah and they but do the spit the thing. Thing. but it's
1: also quite like aggressive like you're like tink what are you doing you you i get where you're coming from here i get that you're trying to solve the problem but you don't have the maturity to do this and it's really painful watching falco literally walk circles around tink mm-hmm. and then brutalize him
0: yeah because we falco comes across as this very intimidating presence mm. for the entire show even when he's in a room with raven
1: even when he's just in his pants on stage he's still quite intimidating that was a good scene it was a very good scene
0: but yeah so we follow the the whole peter pan plotline, except obviously we get to the end tink and wendy have decided they're friends now for no reason And which doesn't even happen in Peter Pan. Tink is like, yeah, get this girl out of here. Send her back to the human world. Bye. Like, that's how Peter Pan ends. But I guess Jim Steinman really read Peter Pan as a kid and was like, but Wendy should have ended up with Peter. Yeah. Which is not what you're supposed to take from Peter Pan. The
1: thing I, I find weird with the plot is like, at the end, when you have the six months later, that doesn't feel like enough passing of time
0: Certainly not to sing a song that has the lyrics.
1: It's all coming, it's all coming back. back to me now.
0: It hasn't gone anywhere. It's been six months.
1: Yeah. It feels like it needs to be longer because, especially the idea that Strat can forget things so easily, that whole. But then I guess maybe it's, it's like that. But whole, that's
0: a Peter Pan thing.
1: But no, I know. That's why I, I feel like six months isn't long enough. It's, uh, maybe it's just because they want to keep raven at 18 years old well they
0: have to because otherwise falco is right yeah this is the issue right i don't know whether i'm just old now i am parental age no comment i don't think falco is wrong in this situation no falco is trying to protect
1: his daughter knowing full well you know the, the the lost are these like kids who will leave you behind and you don't want to be in that position he's lost his youth which we'll talk about in a moment Mm -hmm. and he doesn't want the same thing to happen to his daughter he just goes about it in the wrong way
0: oh yeah definitely but even okay so let's say raven doesn't want to have kids and she never wants to get married right
1: yeah that's so. the wedding in
0: this show doesn't count she decides she doesn't want either of those things character wise yeah However, just like in the real world, there is no reason why a 30-year-old should be dating an 18-year-old. I'm sure I'm going to upset people by saying that. But you're at two completely different stages of life. By the time she's 30, Raven will be an adult. Mm -hmm. A full, fully-brained grown-up who is a completely formed human and Strat will still be this brat who's running around acting 18, he's not going to want any of the same things as her. No. So there's no reason why you should let your daughter date him. And I know it's not about letting. She's 18, she's an adult, she can do what she wants, blah, blah, blah. But if you've spent the last 25 years dealing with these idiots, you yeah. would at a certain point be like, okay, this is not a good thing.
1: Yeah. It's very, very weird.
0: Yeah, it's a choice. I don't... I don't personally understand immortality love stories, unless yeah. both characters are immortal.
1: Mm-hmm. Or the whole idea. One of the things I like, one, one of my favourite, like, immortal love stories is City of Angels with Nick Cage, where he's an angel and he falls in love with a human. And so he. So the one
0: where they all sit on posts. Yeah, and
1: he's like, and I give up forever to touch you. Blech. But like...
0: And he gives up immortality to be with her.
1: Yeah, and spoiler alert, she dies
0: because of course she does that's how humans work it's
1: an immor- immortality story She no, no she's, she gets hit by a car it's like not a planned death it's an accident death and it's so and how pow- humans work so powerfully done like it builds up this combination and that as an immortality love story like if it comes down to like the whole giving up the immortality you know is, is interesting it's a dynamic mm. one of my favourite relationships in this is Falco and Sloane yeah
0: Sloane's a really interesting character just on her own, but as soon as she's on stage with Falco, the two of them draw all notice from everybody else. And
1: you can see that, especially with uh, Rob Fowler and Sharon Sexton.
0: Who have a
1: cabaret cabaret act act
0: together. Yeah, and obviously friends outside of this. And both
1: the originators of this role. They have
0: so much chemistry. Yeah, they do. And it seems, when it comes to the characters... The characters have this totally platonic chemistry, which is hilarious because they've obviously reached a point in their marriage where they're like done with each other. Sloane doesn't want to be there anymore. She feels like she's lost everything, like the bits of who she was. They actually make a change in this one. Yeah. So you know how Sloane gives Raven that jacket? Yeah. The leather jacket. Originally, that was Falco's biker jacket. Yeah. And then I think it's made clear that he was part of Strat's gang. Whereas in the version we saw, Sloane gives Raven her biker jacket and says, this was mine once. Like, go, live your life, be free. But we get all this, like, backstory to them where Sloane is so done with how Falco is acting. She doesn't like this version of him. She wants to go back to their youth. Yeah. I mean, that's, again... The but, plot of Peter Pan. And
1: you have this great, you know, a lot of great songs between them. Uh is
0: she technically Mr. Smee? Well... She kind of is.
1: I guess, yeah. If you have, I mean...
0: If you're doing a one-to-one. If you're
1: doing a one-to-one, that's the closest thing to a Mr. Smee because like none of... Well, there's
0: only two female characters and, well, three female characters in Peter Pan.
1: But none of his militia are kind of in it who would have probably been a better, like...
0: The pirates. Yeah, he doesn't know. have like a right-hand man. It's Sloan.
1: But you get like who needs the young is a really great. Sequence where they're on this couch together and interacting and flirting and you get this dynamic that like they're both done with each other and they're not trying to like, they're they're trying to act like we don't want to be young again. And as they come through, like they they go in reverse, like they go from their old selves at the start to kind of catching up with their youth. You know, it's embracing their youth.
0: Very much, I hate to compare things to Bad Cinderella, but it very much gave me um, I know who you are. Yes, vibes. Where like they're making specific jabs at each other.
1: Yeah,
0: like there's a line about muscles not working the same way they used to, yeah. and both of them look disappointed by that. Yeah, and it's funny. It's a really. I just think, I think I've reached a point where I don't care about teenagers and shows mm. anymore, which is hilarious because I'm a teacher. But yeah. like. Unless you're going to do something new with the way that you're presenting immortality to me, which I don't think there is a way to do anything new with that anymore. No. Because it's been done to death now, hilariously. (laughs) I don't know why they have to be teenagers. Like, I would love to see, not this, but like, I would love to see some kind of
1: Story immortal fifty year olds why could you not have frozen me in the prime of my life
0: i 'm sick of reading about teenagers is my point. Give me a Bilbo baggin 's Hobbit immortality yeah. story any day where you are fifty years old and you 're going on an adventure big just because <laughs> like, I think i 'm sick of teenagers. <laughs>
1: whenever Falcon and Snow are on stage together, it's great. And, you know, there is a lot of laughs. Paradise by Dashboard Light is great and it's very sexy as well. Mm -hmm. You know, the the bit where uh, Sharon Sexton, like, slides off her knickers and they're they're literally just about to, like, he's, like, grinding. He's about to... And then she just... Stop right there. Bow, bow, bow. Yes, I know the song from Glee. I gotta know right now. Mm -hmm. Love that moment. But, again, like, there's this real comfort between them. Like, they have got this chemistry, even when they're bickering. But that moment in Act 2 where she walks away and then she comes back to him. Like, for her, her arc is finally saying, like, I'm not happy and I'm going. Mm-hmm. And then she joins the Lost and she's just happy. But she goes back to him and you get their, their reunion in Coming Back to Me Now feels far better to me than Raven and Strat's reunion because there's no history between Raven and Strap but there is a history between Sloane and Falco and we've seen throughout this that they're not completely done with each other they still reminisce and there is still fondness they've just lost themselves with like Falco's war on the lost
0: maybe they're both Wendy maybe maybe Sloane is supposed to mirror
1: Raven Raven and Falco as as Hook mirrors Pan in a weird way
0: well that's always the point yeah, Pan then, and Hook yeah. are always foils of each other but I guess if you're introducing an adult woman she would have to be the foil it's like for Raven to look at and be like I don't want to be this person yeah. which again is in every single teen story ever
1: I think the thing is with the plot for this and I I had a great time like I was enraptured the whole way through yes the plot is basically Peter Pan yes the plot is basically at times Romeo and Juliet star-crossed lovers hmm. Does the plot offer anything new? No, it really doesn't. Some of the side characters, like as great as Zahara's voice is, like I
0: I need to know so much more about her.
1: Yeah, I really didn't care about. How did
0: she get this job as a nurse?
1: Yep. How is she hidden that she's the lost? Because she's not
0: doing this. Oh, so they, they inject Raven with this thing that doesn't let her dream so that she won't act out. But which, like, okay, fair, fair enough. But I like again,
1: that. Why? Why have we got that?
0: No explanation and, for and it. And this is it.
1: Like, I don't care about Zahara's relationship with Jaguar because it just feels so like... It's, it's tertiary lovers. Like, when you've got Falco and Sloane and Strat and Raven, you don't really need a third pair of lovers.
0: Well, especially because... After Stratton, not Stratton, Sloane. That'd be interesting. Falcon, Sloane and Stratton Raven. Tink is the next main character. Yeah. And then it's...
1: Which is interesting because Tink is on stage a heck of a lot less than Jaguar and Zahara.
0: Yeah. Jaguar, I think, the performer was great. I don't know anything about that character. I was no. trying to figure out who he's supposed to be, and I decided he's probably slightly—he's
1: just a lost boy. That for me, like he—he's he, not important. Yeah, and you know, it's—it's it's an attempt to take some people out the ensemble,
0: just from, to bring them forwards to make it more interesting. Not
1: a criticism of the performances.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just one of those things of the plots. It doesn't need a third pair of lovers. No, so it, it
0: didn't—it didn't mean anything. It obviously again. It just feels like somebody read Peter Pan and was like, why didn't Wendy stay with Peter? If they were older, I bet she'd stay. Yeah. And then decided that that fan fiction is what they wanted to turn into a show. And then suddenly realized if they were older, they would then have to circumvent Tiger Lily. Yeah. For no discernible reason. Because... Like that is who Zahara's like one to one is technically based on that like saving his life scene. Yeah. But then also.
1: And when does Zahara gain the medical knowledge to not only be a nurse but to do a blood transfusion on Strat? Especially From if they're one frozen. Bag of blood. Especially yeah. if they're frozen forever at eighteen.
0: I really thought the point of that was going to be that they'd fixed him.
1: Well, no, because I think it is like their blood is timeless as well. It won't flow. And if you, you know, and they needed live blood
0: to get him to live. But I really thought that the point of that was that they were going to realise like, oh, my God, you're ageing. Yeah. Because you've got Raven's blood in you. And then we have to figure out whether it's just Raven's blood or if it's all living people's blood. Yeah. Because that would be super interesting to... Try and figure out, and then you have the the X-Men thing of deciding whether you want to live or yeah. not. Because they're not... Immortality in this form is not living.
1: However, I, I'm glad it doesn't do that, because I feel like that's not something I want to happen to Strat without his consent.
0: Well, no, but uh, even if you had it be like, it wasn't enough to make you not immortal, but it's... it was enough that you have a choice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah... There's load, loads of small things, but I think this has the same thing that shows like Mamma Mia do, that there's always going to be those plot inconsistencies or moments that don't work. I do know you're...
0: what you're talking about. Mamma Mia has no plot inconsistencies at all. <laughs> but, you know,
1: when you're trying to, like, jam-pack in as many hit songs, yeah. there's always going to be those inconsistencies.
0: I will say, the moment when... It's All Coming Back to Me Now started because obviously it starts with just the piano on yeah. its own. Dun, 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 dun. We were both
1: like, what? We were both what? like, what? Because we'd forgotten by the time at that point as well that this was even a...
0: That was even in it. Even I was a- just thinking, we were on the way there and I was trying to remember what songs we'd said were in it. And I f- completely forgot about this one. And so when it started, I was like, what is happening? Yeah. And then it's a duet between Strat and Raven. And then Falco and Sloane come in. And they're just amazing. And it's
1: very good. It's it's very well done. And it's nice. It's the penultimate song. And I think, you know, it works very well. And I guess now's a good time Absolute to talk pop. about musical numbers.
0: Baby,
1: baby, there was so much in this. And there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that for me, I adored because... It really took me back to my youth, my wasted youth, of different meatloaf songs, but other things. So, like, I'd completely forgotten that love and death and an American guitar existed until Raven started delivering that. And I was like, right at the beginning, as your opening monologue, and I'm like, I recognise this. Oh, wow, they really are using everything at their disposal.
0: Mm. This is normally performed by Strat, because apparently... What it's meant to be in the original plot, I quite liked that it was Raven.
1: We'll talk about that in a second.
0: What it's meant to be in the original plot is that it's Strat recounting something that happened right before he got frozen. Yeah,
1: it's like his discovery of rock and roll. Yeah, it makes very little sense for Raven to be doing it, but it then makes unless she's
0: telling Strat's story.
1: That's what I think it is. But then again.
0: I had to do homework
1: to figure that out. Well, that, but I didn't do any homework necessarily. It's just the, the story I've chosen to come up with, that Raven is just telling the story of Strat to somebody in the same way Wendy told people the story of Peter Pan. Mm. I really like that that's all, that's all used. We get all revved up with No Place to Go as a mash-up with Wasted Youth, which mm. I wasn't expecting anything like that in this show. I thought they were all going to be just straight... Like I'm actually Simon surprised
0: songs. there weren't more mashups because a lot of the songs have very similar like themes yes. to them. So you could overlap them. I'm sure Glee has a yeah. point.
1: I thought that was really cool. Nice little way to is you establish The Lost and you establish their war with Falco and the two backed, you know, like Falco. Because it does, the, the, these two songs together sum up everything. They're all revved up. They've got no place to go. And for Falco, it's Wasted Youth. Yeah. This pinpointed very early on your issue with Glenn Adamson's performance as Strat.
0: I didn't have an issue with his performance. He's very talented. Very
1: talented.
0: This is an issue that I have in all shows, which is that I... All I can think about when people lick stuff is that it now has saliva on it. Yeah.
1: And he does... I think the issue is... And the he keeps
0: uh, looking things. The, the direction <laughs> like
1: slash choreography for Strat is where I think the weakness is. Because mm. he does a lot of the same things again and again. It's the licking of the mic, but there's also the, like, a weird burpee, or getting into a plank, or doing push-ups. Yeah. And when you have the same thing going on and on again, it's either they don't know what to do with this character, or... The actor doesn't know what they're doing with the character, yeah. And, and I, I feel
0: like it's a directional thing because this yeah. whole show is so choreographed because everyone's being filmed all the yes. time, so they have to be, and even that you can has see them all be. trying to get into the yeah. right places for things, you know. And so, I think it is to do with the direction, but I just Sort of after the first couple of times, I was like, I immediately was like, oh, yeah, very rock and roll. Yeah. Move. The, you know, first, you get one, it.
1: first time. Great.
0: And then eventually I was just like, put your tongue away now. Yeah. Nobody else is doing it. Yeah. Put your tongue away.
1: Gerard Way, when he performs, will have certain mannerisms he'll do with certain songs, but you won't see Gerard doing everything, you know, the same mannerism through every single Michael McRomance song. He has little idiosyncrasies that he brings to certain songs. Mm. And it was an issue here that it's like Strat only knew one trick, just licking the microphone. Do
0: you know, I think my issue with it is, or like where it comes from, is the Heath Ledger Joker. Yeah. Like put your tongue away and now everybody copies it Mm. in loads of stuff. So this is a show where you know all of the songs, right?
1: Yeah. Right, there are some songs in here that I don't recall as much as others. So, Who Needs the Young? I didn't really know that one.
0: I feel like I've heard that before, but I think it just might be in the context of this.
1: Um, Not Allowed to Love, What Part of My Body Hurts the Most. So really, there are only like three odd songs that I don't know. They have, um, as an encore song, Good Girls Go to Heaven, Bad Girls Go Everywhere, which I do remember. The
0: three songs that you just named that you didn't know are the three songs that I
1: enjoyed the most. Not my favourite, but the three songs I enjoyed the most. I do think they're very different stylistically. You know, um, Who Needs a Young is very different than everything else. Um, Not Allowed to Love is a ballad, which is nice. And What Part of My Body Hurts the Most is, again, a nice Falco and Sloan song.
0: I didn't know, like, any of these. I know... Bat Out of Hell, obviously, but yeah. I only know it in the context of this. I don't believe I've ever heard the Meatloaf version That's of
1: this. can't be true. You live with me. It, it might be. I'm not dis- I'm not saying I I, I I. think you're lying.
0: I'm consciously aware of the fact that I've seen this performed.
1: Yes. Bat
0: Out of Hell style. Yeah. Like musical style. But you can't recall. I don't remember the Meatloaf version. I know Paradise by the Dashwood Light.
1: Yeah, one of my favourite songs of all time but you know it from glee and again putting it in glee made me so happy Mm -hmm. and what i really like about this version is you get the same like better better swing you know he's really coming up hard on third Uh, It's safe that they're talking yeah Yeah. and it was it was pitch perfect and we got the full version i was expecting it to be cut down and it wasn't
0: i know i would do anything for love but i won't do that yep
1: i think everyone knows that one that's iconic and again full version of the song Brilliant.
0: Um, and I knew it's all coming back to me now. Yeah, and that's it. I some of the songs that I know you
1: really like. Objects in the rearview mirror may appear closer than they are. It is one of my favourite songs of all time. But yeah, it's weird. Sorry, because, I'm going to destroy it now. No, well, so here's the thing.
0: It went on for such a long time. My mum
1: loves meat life
0: Yeah. My
1: dad loves meat life We spoke to both of them about seeing that no, out no, of no. hell. And my nan was so jealous.
0: When they both told me I had to like it. Yeah,
1: but, <laughs> I was like, sorry. But my nan was so jealous of the fact we come to see this. My mum doesn't really like objects in the rearview mirror, may appear closer than they are. It is a very long song, and I certainly feel they could have cut some of it within the context of this show. When one of The Lost comes out, it's like, she taught me everything about love. She used her, you know, the whole, she used her body just like a bandage. Like that.
0: The boy in the jeans. Yeah. Yeah. So he was a really good singer. A
1: very good singer.
0: He was one of the most eye-catching dancers in the ensemble. Out of the guys, for sure. And his costume was really nice like he had these jeans and that's why I say the guy with the jeans his jeans were made out of patches of loads of other jeans it was very cool like he'd stitch them together himself as far as I'm aware his character doesn't have a name there's a character that used to be in this show Yeah. who has since been omitted uh, whose name is Blake and it could maybe have been him yeah or maybe he was Ladue but I don't know because nobody ever said his name and he just did that one bit
1: so Objects in the rearview mirror does have like a much shorter radio edit at like 5 minutes 55
0: I think it's just at this point so we've just had Bat Out of Hell and Heaven Can Wait yeah Bat Out of Hell Really good song. Very repetitive. Heaven Can Wait. So repetitive. What? What is?
1: No, it's perfect.
0: I'm not saying it's a bad song. It's just a very repetitive song. Yeah,
1: that's the beauty of the song.
0: Right. (laughs) But I can only deal with one of those at a time. By the time we get to objects, they repeat that line so many times. So
1: the thing with objects, I love the song.
0: The fact that we're also not saying the whole title The whole title of that song is "Objects in the Rearview Mirror May Appear Closer Than They Are." What an absolute hassle! It's
1: the the hit with the longest unbracketed title at fifty two characters as of two thousand seven, and it's a reference to the safety warnings that you get on yeah, I know what it is. Like, and obviously, is like done for um, Jurassic Park, which always makes me laugh when I see that bit. I think.
0: It just goes on. In this case, I'm sure the actual song. No,
1: no, no, no. Listen, I'm. I love the song. I. I think the final chorus, when they have all the like sexual relationship stuff, from, I guess it was Blake or well, Ledoux. So... Le, 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 Le it's Ledoux. Ledoux, I
0: think. Yeah. And Valkyrie. Yeah,
1: Valkyrie's taken Blake's place. I like the first two bits of it because I like that it feels like they are mourning. Strat,
0: but you've got Jaguar and Valkyrie singing, and it's like, okay, this is good. I feel like it should have been Zahara, but I like mm -hmm. the Val. I like Valkyrie's character, so that's fine. And then just more people started singing. I was like, how is this song not finished yet?
1: And that is the issue because the first one is very much like Jaguar mourning the loss of his best friend, and then you get the sense that like Strat has taken him in and. Helped him forget.
0: Yeah, and And then Valkyrie's like, here's how we're all going to get past this. But also, Valkyrie's
1: then like talking about how father abused and stratosated. Yeah. (laughs) The dude just comes out and starts talking about, I had sex with a woman. And it doesn't work, especially like at the context of them being like these 18 years old and lost. And I was. Yeah, because it
0: kind of felt a little bit like he was preyed upon. Yes. But then also, we don't know who this guy is. So why are you telling us yeah. this?
1: So for me, I'd have kept the first two choruses and then just had the objects in the rear view mirror may a bit closer than they oh, are. Now that you've
0: sung it, the other thing that it made me think of is it sounds exactly like Michael in the bathroom. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking the whole time. It was like, oh, I, I should listen to that it song. It probably <laughs> is
1: play it because this is, you know, we have had the interval. It's not like we go bat out of how heaven can wait objects. We yeah, have had the interval. We've just had
0: three songs. I know we've had the interval.
1: But it's a lot for the
0: entire interval. battle of hell stuck in your head,
1: yeah, it, and
0: that's a lot of repetitive. And that's songs. the perfect
1: song to end Act One on. I really love the fact that we get the hot summer night stuff. You know, the um, on a hot summer night, would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses? Absolutely
0: not, you weirdo! Get away from but me. But I
1: love that bit in you know in the opening of the song, and you keep having Strat being like, "I've got this thing to say to a girl," and when I heard him say on a hot summer night, I was like, "Yes, they got that, that." And then the bit where Raven's like yes will he offer me his mouth yes will he offer me his teeth and then you get the um the actual song it goes into it for me it was a really nice combination and incorporation of all of the song
0: yeah i just
1: dead ringer for love
0: i think this show is obviously for you right And looking at the audience that we were (laughs) in Was not a
1: traditional musical theatre audience, was it?
0: No, which was really cool. It definitely is bringing people who aren't traditional theatre goers to see this show. And maybe I'm making stereotypes there, but... No,
1: I think it's fair to talk about.
0: I mean, there were people there getting antsy about the length of the show. Yeah. From what I overheard, who clearly don't sit through shows very often. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Like, it was a very long show. Yeah, it's one of the
1: longest we've, we've seen for a while.
0: For sure felt it.
1: Hence the breaking this up into sections.
0: Yeah. But I think you also have to take into account that while you are making a show that is for people who love this, this is not why Jim Steinman wrote this show. Jim Steinman did not write this show being like oh people love these meatloaf songs i mean i know they're his songs but yeah you know he wasn't like oh i'm gonna make bank off of this it was this is the concept i have this is the story i want to tell here's all of my best songs let's go for it and so there should be some account taken for that there are is going to be a portion of your audience that has no idea what you're talking about when you're saying that stuff I didn't know what any of that meant. Mm -hmm. And so all it made me think was how unlikable this character is. Yeah. Because why is he saying this? And why does he think of himself as the wolf? Like, that's not okay. And also, you can't compare yourself narratively to a wolf when you're already the leader of a gang. Like, he has this lone wolf complex, which doesn't make any sense. It just brings up a lot of narrative questions that then don't ever get answered and the fact that Raven then has an answer to it... Oh, they keep doing this thing, which obviously leads into this, where Peter will recite poetry. I know he's not called Peter. Yeah, I, no, don't go for it, I don't fine. care anymore. It's <laughs> he easier Peter, for you, yeah. He, he recites poetry. And some of it, I assume, is from stuff. Like from albums and stuff. Yeah. And some of it, I'm sure, was made for this. And... There's bits where he, like, comes out and the Lost Boys say to him, oh, like, go for it, Strat, say it, say it, like, kind of thing. And he'll recite something. And when he's brought back to life, we have the same thing. And then at the beginning, we see that Raven does the same thing. And so it's supposed to be, you know, kindred poetic spirits Mm -hmm. or whatever. But also, you're also kind of thinking, okay, be quiet, edgy teenagers. (laughs) Like, okay, (laughs) okay, my dude, that's fine. Yeah. I think My favorite one is at the beginning when Zahara, is it Zahara that tries to kiss him, right at the beginning, and he says that to her, and she's like, "What?"
1: No, I think it's Valkyrie. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Correct response. I, I think this is the way this show is really going to live now on, is with Meat both, Life Show. Well, yeah, it's a Meat Life Show and it's Jim Steinman show, and especially because. Strat, for the most part, is doing his best meatloaf impression. But then you also have, like, Rob Fowler and Sharon Sexton who nail the vocals. Like, it's almost like you're listening to the meatloaf version of Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Mm -hmm. I feel like this show will have a legacy of being more like Six in that it's the closest you will come to a meatloaf concert. Yeah. Nowadays. And I think if you go in just wanting to see these songs you will be happy because they haven't been musical theatrified. You know what I mean? You are seeing the same songs. Yes, you have brief moments through Bat Out of Hell where you stop for some dialogue between the characters where Raven's like, I can't do this. I've got to go home because my daddy's going to kill you. And even on the cast recording, you have that. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I hate when they do As that. infused as I, I was when I heard it the other day. But you've kept the integrity of these songs quite well, I think, without really compromising on them. You know, does Mamma Mia do the same? I think some of them do change quite a lot compared to the other songs.
0: They change the lyrics. So with um, the actual song Mamma Mia... Mm-hmm. we have I was cheated by you and I think you know when as yeah. opposed to I've been cheated by yeah. you and I think I know when, something like that. Lots of the lyrics are completely different, but they've been changed to work with the narrative yeah. by Benny and Beyond, I believe. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, no, I'm when... no,
1: not, not disparaging because Jim Simon worked on this. like He'll have changed mm-hmm. things. I think this does attract a different theatre audience. However, I think if you go just for the songs, you might end up having a good time watching the spectacle.
0: Yeah, but, but if you're what, going because it's musical theatre, I don't think you're going to understand some of this. Yeah, as
1: a musical, will people watch this and enjoy it? If you know nothing about meat life... Which maybe, I don't. Yeah, maybe not. It's not like something like School of Rock, where you can never have seen the Jack Black film and get it.
0: Yeah, because again, narratively, it's been well thought yeah. out and well, well crafted. Whereas with this... I think pretty much everybody knows Peter Pan, right? Mm-hmm. Generally. Very much so in the UK. I think everybody's seen the Panto at some point in their lives.
1: Yeah.
0: Or at the very least, we all grew up with the 2004
1: or I 3 version. I that one. I know you
0: haven't, but it was pretty much everybody's sexual awakening. So um, you had Jason Isaacs as Captain Hook. Yep. And the boy that everybody fancied for some reason, who was Peter Pan, and it, that is a genuinely good film. But everybody knows Peter Pan. That's like in some way, shape, or form. We know the story. So if you are like me and you are sitting there knowing nothing about this show, at some point you will cop on that it's Peter Pan. Yeah. And that's very distracting. If you don't know that it's meant to be that. But again, I shouldn't have to do research before I go and see something to not get distracted. So,
1: yeah, I know exactly what you mean.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm being really negative about this. I had a really good time watching the show. The songs were great. The performers were all amazing. Specifically, I'll say this now: my MVP is going to be Rob Fowler. Yeah,
1: I think I'm going to agree with you that my MVP is
0: he's an absolute scene stealer. Yeah, I. It's a good thing.
1: Yeah, and I will tell you that the role I want to play, believe it or not, is Falco. Don't get me wrong, I love I love a lot of what Strat does. But I think the Falco arc is far more interesting. Mm. As much as I'd love to stand on the stage and sing and belt Bat Out of Hell, I think I'd have more fun doing The Paradise by the Dashboard Lights and a lot of the other stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, like, what part of my body hurts the most? hmm Song I've genuinely never heard before. Yeah. And also... I was like, I think this might be the best song in the show until we get to it's all coming back to me now, so, at which point I was like, yes.
1: Is that your best but, song? It's all coming back to me now. Yeah.
0: But when they did what part of my body hurts the most, I was like, oh, my God, this is actually moving. Mm-hmm. This is the first time. Well, it's not. But for these two characters, for Falco and Sloane, it's the first time I felt a genuine emotional connection to them as characters. Yeah. Because up until now, they've been pretty funny. Falco's been a bit scary, but together they're quite funny. Yes. And we get to this point and they're talking about how they feel like they've been torn apart from each other where they were like, it's like having a limb ripped off. And that's something I think everyone can relate to, that kind of heartbreak. Yeah. And that kind of heartbreak where it's specifically that they've grown apart. That's sad. Mm -hmm. And that I cared about. The other thing that made me emotionally care about this show is tink right before this singing not allowed to love yeah. because obviously you have the double meaning of him being gay and the only guy that he's interested in isn't interested in him yeah and also the secondary meaning of that everybody sees him as a child because he's like 14 or 15 and they're all 18 and how being stuck like that forever yeah. would be a curse He's oh, not yeah, taking absolutely. it as a good thing like everyone else. And they don't let him live with them.
1: Yeah, they don't, do they? It's no, very he lives
0: somewhere else and they keep telling him you can't keep hanging around here. Which I'm assuming that there must have been other younger kids that were changed. But that sounds horrific. That
1: does sound horrific.
0: But like he's just old enough that he's at that age where he's starting to feel like an adult and to try and explore who he is as a person. Yeah. Only to be told at every constant move that he's not allowed to do that because that would be weird. Yeah. And he has the, I'm going to compare it to Interview with a Vampire. He has the Claudia, basically personality type where he's like, who is going to love me? Yeah. Because the only people who are going to are perverts or little children. And what do I do then when the kids out the kid that's my age outgrows me? Yeah. Because then they're a pervert. And so like that's sad and difficult to think about and like really interesting when you get into it. So I really care about these characters, but obviously they're not the main characters. So we have to keep going back to Strat and Raven. And I don't care about either of them because they're both so angsty. They both are angsty in a way that's not even new. You know, it's so typical and... I think also, I don't agree with any of the choices that Raven makes. Yeah. Specifically, Uh, picking up a t-shirt right at the beginning of the show that your father has just ripped off of a child and is covered in blood and then being like, I will wear this forever. Absolutely not. (laughs) That needs to go in the wash.
1: (laughs) So you would say then your favourite songs, your best songs, it's all coming back to me now, Mm -hmm. slash what part of my body hurts the most, slash not allowed to love.
0: And Who Needs the Young?
1: See, my best song is absolutely Bat Out of Hell because I think it delivers. It's a song that I think you go in with the most expectations of in this and I do think it delivers and I think it's a really great sequence. I loved Paradise by the Dashboard Light. You know, having those two characters, you know, Falco and Sloane, be the centre of this and it being really fun. In terms of a song that I think really surprised me with how much I enjoyed... I I will also say who needs the young is is up there as as like a best song because it's a really f- like great introdu- introductory number to their dynamic.
0: Mm.
1: Obviously it's all coming back to me now it was great. I'd do anything for love but I won't do that is great and there's a, a wide range of Meat Life songs that I love on it. In terms of skip song I would probably say two out of three ain't bad because i do not care about zahara and jaguar's dynamic i really just because i don't i love the song Mm. but i just don't care about their dynamic because not enough is done to actually make me care about either of them you Mm. know zahara more so Zahara, I have more questions about. Jaguar just, again, and this is the issue, you've got a lot of ensemble members who are very, very talented playing The Lost. And even though they all have names, apparently, I never heard their names.
0: Valkyrie is the only name Yeah, the only. I heard because they called her it. Yeah,
1: and that's the thing, no one else really has names. They're just like nameless faces to plod out the ensemble. And that doesn't take away from how talented they are. But then when you've got Jaguar singing this song, I don't really care.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's why I would say two out of three ain't bad is a skip song for me. But I could listen to this whole soundtrack, I think, without skipping anything. What would you say is your skip song and why is it objects in the rearview mirror may appear closer (laughs) than they are?
0: It absolutely is. I don't know whether I was just really tired by this point.
1: It's a very long song. And I I, I do take that point. It's a very, very long song. And I actually think here it's possibly a little... It's a poor choice to have it here when you're trying to re-engage people with the story.
0: Well, and Act Two opens with a ballad.
1: A ballad already? <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, what exactly. a stark departure
1: from the source material.
0: So Raven sings Heaven Can Wait. Do you know what? I can't even remember how that song goes, so I think it has Heaven
1: to be Heaven Can, can Wait. Heaven Can
0: Wait. Yeah, that doesn't tell me anything. So I think it has to be Heaven Can Wait, because I can at least remember how Objects goes. Yeah. And how... I wish they'd done more with the staging of it or that they'd had some characters.
1: Oh, objects. The staging is quite dull. Dance. Uh, they yeah. just sort
0: of stand. It's like um It's one at
1: a time. It's do you hear the stepping no, forward? No, not that
0: one. It's it's the one from School of Rock with the kids. Just the If kids. only
1: you would listen. Yes, yeah, that. it is.
0: They just sort of stand there.
1: Yeah. I think I, I I love that song. I think it is a little over long for this. We could get rid of the third act of the song. Yeah. And we'd have a really good like Thing it 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 does take you out of it, but I love that song, so it will never be a skip song for me. Which role would you want to play?
0: Tink, I guess. I think it's irrelevant that Tink is a guy.
1: Hmm. I think it's irrelevant.
0: Although I suppose,
1: I guess the love if it's a would girl, then, the then love that's... would then be the hero worship, but also it would be interesting as a dynamic for. Like, Strat being like, you're younger than me. You're too young. You're too yeah, young. And then actually it would help Strat to realise Raven's problem when it's like, oh.
0: Yeah, but I don't want to make a character straight, you know?
1: No, I know. I guess the good thing is you can very much play Tink course, non-binary. Tink could be non-binary,
0: yeah. yeah. It wouldn't matter.
1: I think, you know, Tink as a non-binary role is a, is a good role for this.
0: Mm-hmm. I would not want to play Raven.
1: No, would you? Would you consider playing Sloane, or is that too much? I feel much like I'd have a
0: laugh playing Sloane, but actually, all of her songs are pretty good too. Mm. And she gets to join in with "took the words right out of my mouth." Yeah, I so do that like that. Was it. fun. Yeah, I, I do like it really when, like she when she shows Sloane up shows up
1: at the loss and it's just and Valkyrie proposes. to Valkyrie's her.
0: like, "You're amazing." Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: before we get to our views,
0: we're
1: mm-hmm. going to talk about Twitter and Instagram where we got quite a few interactions this week, such as the power of Jim Steinman and Meatlife. So on Twitter, 50% of people said they've never seen it. Yep. Which doesn't surprise me, to be honest. 17% of people saying it's okay. 33% of people saying, yes, it's paradise. So nobody said... Anybody who'd seen it, nobody said no to enjoying it. Either it's okay or yes, it's fantastic at cdn steve martin said love it i saw it twice in toronto highly recommend this show at of poodle who has the full name poodle out of hell says saw it 14 times in london 12 here in germany four new york city it used to be my favorite show of all time because of jim simon's amazing music and lyrics but the show's app at- and the show's atmosphere but I missed Strat's opening speech, Blake, Land of the Pig scene, Tink's death, etc. Too many changes. I asked, so for you, have the changes taken away from your enjoyment to drop it or has there been a new show that's taken up the mantle? And Poodle Out of Hell replied, haven't seen the tour so far. I will do in December in Dusseldorf. But changes in New York were quite similar to the tour. Many effects like the car in the pit, cages, pool, burning heart, upper mirror and double Raven bedroom got lost. But it's a tour, so downgrades acceptable. So that does suggest to me, like you said with the set, there's more that you'd get out of an arena show. Mm. They cut so many of my favourite things since the Coliseum run. Intro by Strat, Raven makes no sense at all, Good Girls just won't quit, the most beautiful song describing Strat and Raven's love, Falco's butcher scene, objects being so intense because of the three different male voices which again interesting dynamic now they cut blake and installed valkyrie which makes it so random tink's death cut which means the beat is yours forever gets somehow meaningless in the show so no there is no other show i love more just want the show jim imagined and was involved with back but that's just my personal opinion others may think the changes are an improvement that's fine my new faves are bonnie and clyde london of course which are my favorite strats and moulin rouge musical But I would do anything for the original version of Bat Out of Hell. So thank you so much. That was really interesting to hear that. Uh, At nobody asked for pod said, I love the songs and the performances, but wasn't a big fan of the story. But two out of three ain't bad. And then at one Anna one underscore Anna said, love it. Seen it four times. My daughters love it, too. My youngest loves it so much. She wants to perform Raven's opening monologue as her piece for her college showcase. On Instagram, 21% of people said never seen it. 21% of people said it's okay. 57% of people saying yes, paradise. So again, nobody saying no, they didn't enjoy it. And we heard from Dark Victory who said... I grew up to the music of meatloaf and here in Germany, Steinman's Tans Dear Vampire is huge, but very dusty since it's from 1998. Mm. Bat Out of Hell is the needed crossover of Tans and Peter Pan that we all needed to celebrate these melancholic and dramatic music and lyrics by Jim Steinman. Is the story nuts and totally flawed? Of course. Is it still something you could watch like 10 times in a row? Absolutely. You learn to love this show. I talked to a lot of people and many disliked it the first time, but still watched it a second and third time. It's just a pity they cut Good Girls Go to Heaven because it was a bop. You'll be pleased to know it is there. It's just the encore song Mm -hmm. for Meat Life and for Jim Steinman. For me, it's a five-star show. Yes, the plot is flawed, but I enjoyed it. I had a great time. I would go see it again. I would see it... A lot. If I got the opportunity to, what was your star rating?
0: Two. Okay.
1: Why? And I'm sorry for. No, it's <laughs> fine. I'm not. I'm not going to get upset by it. Why is it a two star for you?
0: I think I'm very emotionally attached to Peter Pan. Yeah. I was a kid who was at Ormond Street Hospital. I was a kid who. Read fancy books to escape. So, Peter Pan, I was very attached to. And I just don't understand the choices made with this. Yeah. Like, the only way I can understand it is that, like I say, Jim Styman read Peter Pan as a kid and was like, Peter and Wendy should have got together, which just never feels right. Like, that's a weird thing to think yeah. about two children one of whom is stuck <laughs> and so i think i get i'm more stuck on the peter pan-ness of it all than the But like maybe if he'd adapted dracula i'd be more okay with it.
1: it but for you it's a story that is so sacred and important to you that
0: yeah and i'm sure i'll get it called out for it but
1: and I'm sure you'll have very similar pins when we do talk about Peter Pan in two weeks because you have said to me you don't like the Disney version mm-hmm. and and that also makes you understand why I'm not so drawn to the story of Peter Pan because it's really the only like version I've seen of it outside of once upon a time
0: mm-hmm.
1: i mean what what gave you two stars so is it the plot that drops it or is it you know is it the anything? two
0: stars that it has one of them is for the set and costume design, and the other one is for the music. Yeah. And the rest of it is lost out to.
1: So when you say the music, you, you mean the songs or actually. The musical
0: performances. The
1: performance. So you mean the, the, the stuff from the performers. Mm-hmm. Cool. And they are incredible. Yeah, this is the
0: thing. I wasn't let down in any way by any of the performers. They were all fantastic. Like Zahara, especially her voice, is just so powerful. And Rob Fowler and Sharon Sexton were just so good together. Yeah. That like it's almost sad that it's the actual show that lets me down.
1: Mm. You no? Know? What's interesting is I've only given one two-star this year. What is it? Dumbo. Fair enough. Is this on par with Dumbo for you? Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting that. Um Obviously, you can get involved in the conversation as well. Let your voice be heard over on Twitter and Instagram at It's a Musical Pod. Let us know your thoughts. Were you lucky enough to go and see it at the new Victoria Theatre as well? Um, Or have you seen it whilst it's on its UK tour? You know, has Drew got it wrong or am I just looking at it filled with nostalgia? Tell us your thoughts. But also get involved in our conversation about next week's show, which is one you're very excited for. Mm Mm-hmm. We are going to ride the cyclone, baby.
0: I am not going to ride the cyclone. I'm not stupid.
1: I don't know what the cyclone is. Mm. Is this like the Wizard of Oz?
0: Oh, hey, that's a good way of thinking. That's
1: funny. It's not, then?
0: No, it is not.
1: Okay. Well, let us know your thoughts on Ride the Cyclone. I hear it's very big on the TikTok right now. We are then going to be finishing off our year by talking about uh, Peter Pan, the 2022 movie adaptation of Cyrano, Netflix's 13. We're then going to go into our holiday season. We'll start with Holiday Inn. Then we'll be talking about Jingle Jangle before we get to, I think, everyone's favourite Christmas film, The Muppets' Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. And we will be ending our year with the very exciting brand new musical film adaptation of Tim Minchin's Matilda yeah so that is our rest of the year and you can of course get involved with our year in review look at all the great musicals that we've talked about from West Side Story at the end of last year all the way up to Matilda give us a list of your favourite musicals that we've covered so far Uh, we're going to be recording that mid-December so you know drop us a DM on Twitter or Instagram, email us at itzamusicalpod at gmail.com. Send us a voice note if you want and tell us what your favorite musical we've covered this year is and why. As always, you can download us on a multitude of great podcasting platforms. We're available on Apple Podcasts, we're available on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, on the Amazon Music app under the podcast section of the radio. You can find us on Stitcher, Good Pods, and our OG hosts, Podbean. And if you like the show, why not subscribe, share us with a friend or a family member, and leave us a review. But until next week, we will see you the same bat place, same bat channel.
0: Have a magical musical Monday.